If you would follow my advice, you would fare better. The place that you pass to, men perilous hold it. The worst white in the world, in that waste dwelleth. For he is stout and stern, and to strike he delights. And he mightier than any man upon Middle Earth is. And his body is bigger than the four best men that are in Arthur's house, either Hester or others. All goes as he chooses at the Green Chapel. No one passes by that place so proud in his arms that he hews not to death by dint of his hand, for he is a man monstrous, and mercy he knows not. For it be a churl or a chaplain that by the chapel rideth, a monk or a mass priest or any man besides, he would as soon have him slain as himself go alive. And so I say to you, as sure as you sit in your saddle, if you come there, you'll be killed. And if the carl has his way, trust me, that is true, though you had twenty lives to yield. He here has swelt now long, and stirred much strife on field. Against his stroke so strong, yourself you cannot shield. A safe place for folks who like the book better than the movie and vice versa. We are recording this on Sunday, August 8th, 2021. Today we are discussing The Green Knight. With me to talk about the adaptation is the Ginger Knight himself, Mr. Eric. Say hello to the people. E. Hello. I like I like being the Ginger Knight. It kind of reminds me of that guy from Game of Thrones who just had like amazing red hair and was one of the wildlings. Yes. He was great. His name, but yeah. That's sort of like what I would aspire to. Yeah, you should. There's still time. There's still time. Yeah. That guy, kind of, he's great. He's the ginger knight. He is. Well, yeah. You can dismount him maybe one day. Yeah, I probably have to like kill him to assume the title of the ginger knight. Definitely. That's how these sort of things work, right? Maybe you should... Uh, like someone has the crown. Yeah. Be you know? <laughs> a little foreshadowing there. Um, we are also... We took a bit of a summer break. Yes, we and, did. And um, now we're back. It's sort of like a... a you know... The school year was over. We had to recharge our batteries by traveling a little bit since yeah. the world was open for a moment. And uh, yeah. and it might be closing pretty soon. So we uh, delighted in the pleasures of this bountiful earth. And now we are back in my basement <laughs> recording. Um, yeah, well, I think we all needed it. I'm sure many listeners are probably taking advantage of the same things this summer. Getting out, getting outside, getting away from the quarantine. Maybe going to a bar, maybe going to a restaurant, wherever it is. Or a movie theater. Yeah, or a movie theater. Like us. Open, so. um, on Thursday okay. last, where we watched The Green Knight. Shout out AMC Georgetown. Yeah. That was my second movie back. Have you seen any other? That was my, well, that was my first one back, and I went to a movie last night at Sun Cinema in Mount Pleasant in D.C. Uh, I got to see Memories of Murder by Bong Joon-ho, which is very good. Recommend it. Nice. But, yes, yeah, so that was my first one back. Since I was with you, uh, when we saw 
The Invisible Man. The Invisible Man. Yeah. That was March 2020. That right? was... Or February, maybe. February, maybe? Yeah. Been a, it's been a minute. It, yeah. Um, <laughs> I would say our experience at this last movie was kind of how I remember it. Yeah. Except for we had all those, like, little Landon high school, high school kids right next to us. And it was, like, no manners, no, like, they would get up, move around on their phones. You were right next to them. Yeah. They would, like, reach into their, like, little candy and just, well, like, were... rattle it around like it was a baby toy. Well, first off, when we got there, we got there when the, like, when the trailers were going. And they were in our seats. Yeah. And were they, where, where did they go? Were they sitting on each other's laps? They did until or... the movie started. And then those two kids who were in our seats moved to the front row. Oh, okay. And watched it from, like, all the way. In the front. Necks up. Oh, that's it. horrible. Yeah. Well, don't take our seats. You know, it's also a COVID world, man. You can't just, like, sit in someone's seat yeah. and then yeah, leave. Yeah, well, they did. Right? So, so I guess, <laughs> you know. Maybe we have the Delta, but at least we did it together. We're doing this for you, audience. <laughs> but, yeah, if you have a chance to get to the movie theaters, uh, go support them. Um, they have been struggling for the past year and a half, so go do that. But wear a mask. Yeah. So All right, Will, hit us with the fast facts. Fast facts. Uh, the poem called Sir Gawain, or excuse me, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, uh, is actually written by an unknown author. There's no record of who wrote the poem, um, but sometimes referred to as the Pearl Poet. But it was written in the late 14th century. So, goodness gracious, a long time ago. Yeah, seven, eight hundred years. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the movie was written and directed by David Lowry, who is um, famous for The Old Man of the Gun, a ghost story. Pete's Dragon, and Ain't Them Body Saints. The Old Man and the Gun, I think, was Robert Redford's final film, right? Yep. For now. For now, yeah. You could make a comeback, you never yeah. know. <laughs> he's going to unretire. Old Bob Redford. Like, you know, who knows what he's up to? Michael Jordan. Um, and the movie stars Deb Patel, Alicia Vikander, Joel Edgerton, Sarita Chowdhury, Sean Harris, Ralph Innocent, Katie Dickey, and Barry uh, Ke- Keegan? Keegan? Yeah. Okay. And then Rotten Tomatoes, 88, Metacritic, 85. So, well-received by critics. Yeah, pretty high, I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, give us a quick recap. Recap of... I'm going to recap the poem here. Sir Gawain and the Green Knight tells the story of Sir Gawain, a knight of the Arthurian Round Table who accepts a challenge from the mysterious Green Knight. The Green Knight insists on playing a game. Someone is to strike him once with his axe on the condition that the Green Knight may return the blow in a year and one day. Sir Gawain beheads the Green Knight, who subsequently gathers his head and rides off. One year later, Gawain quests to find the Green Knight to accept the return blow. Chivalry, loyalty, and honesty feature prominently. Yes, I do. That's a good little recap. Yeah. Um, so, before we get into the poem here, we have two truths, one lie, a favorite game of our listeners and us as well. Um, I assume you know how to play, but I'm going to ask anyways. Do you know how to play? Yes. What you, what we need to do here is just have you say, two truths, one lie, a game that is played like this. No, I think what we're doing is perfect. Okay. I think we should continue. I, like to, I do like to explain it. Um, three statements, two of them will be truths, one of them will be uh, an inaccurate statement. Correct. Uh, number one, Joel Edgerton played Gawain in Antoine Fuqua's King Arthur in 2004, uh, which starred Clive Owen and Kieran Knightley. Uh, number two, the actor who portrayed the Green Knight, Ralph Innocent, uh, also appeared as Amicus Caro in two Harry Potter films. Uh, and number three, the actors of The King and Queen appear in another film together by Ridley Scott, one of my personal favorites, called Prometheus. 
Eric, what do you think? I hate this. <laughs> I feel like you just put this Prometheus line in here because you knew I wouldn't remember who was in Prometheus. Of course. Because it's a hack of a movie. <laughs> All I can remember about that movie is Michael Fassbender, like, riding a bicycle around a uh, oh, yeah. um, basketball court. Great scene. The only scene, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. Um, so, can't be sure. Those actors seem a bit older. So, I don't know if they've, like... They might have been in that movie. I can't. I, don't, I wouldn't remember. Uh, Prometheus, Charlize Theron, maybe, is it, like, one of the leads? Mm-hmm. That's correct. So, I was, I was a bit busy watching that movie. Um, <laughs> the actor who portrayed the Green Knight was also in Harry Potter, possible. Joel Edgerton played Gawain in King Arthur. I feel like Gawain is famous because of this story, and it, like, vaulted him up the ranks of the Arthurian, like, Knights of the Round Table. So, like, you know Lancelot... And, like, Gowan is famous because of this story. So I'm going to say... I'm going to say that's true. I'm going to say Gowan got some love there. I have not seen that movie. Um, what? You haven't seen King Arthur? I have not. By Bowen? It's classic. Yes, I have not. For seen, me, at least. I have not seen that movie. Um, I have no idea about... Amicus, or Amicus Caro is trash. Uh, I guess once we once we do Harry Potter 7, we'll, we'll figure this out. Yeah, in, in seven years' time. Yeah. yeah. So really, this is just a guess for me from the 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 final two lines here i'm gonna say that the i'm gonna say the third one is a lie i'm gonna say the king and queen did not appear well here's the here's the rub here will the actors of the king and queen appear in another film together by ridley scott oh actually what's the rub i read that wrong yeah never mind i'm gonna say that's a lie though i'm gonna say they did not appear in prometheus i don't do rubs i actually (laughs) that's that's later in (laughs) in this movie I thought this was written as appear in another like good film by Ridley Scott, and that was you're right. That would be inaccurate. It is a great film. Yeah. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that's the lie. They did not appear together in Prometheus. You are wrong. Oh, okay. incorrect. Yeah. They did appear together in Prometheus. Um, I actually had to look it up because I did not remember. I remember him. I did not remember her. She was like a nurse hmm. in a very brief scene, um, but he played a more prominent role. So anyways, you're gonna tell me that the. Green Knight actor played the other Caro brother in Harry Potter? No. Okay. He did play Amicus Caro, but it was in three Harry Potter films. <laughs> so Harry Potter 6 and then Harry Potter 7 Part 1 and Part 2. Correct. You son of a bitch. <laughs> Apparently I do give rubs, so. <laughs> but yeah, so um, congratulations, or I guess better luck next time. And so when you watched King Arthur, did you have a concept of uh, Gowan? No, that surprised me. Uh, but when I saw the image on Google Images, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm brought back to it. Because I remember Lancelot pro- prominently featured in that movie, but I don't remember Gawain, like doing much. But he was, I remember him being there after watch, after uh, looking at the image of it. It's so right before yeah. he slayed the Green Knight. It was like he was just there on the round table. Yeah, yeah, he, he wasn't was... like a, a senior member yet. Well, it's still at his head, so. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so, which was interesting because I, I mean, the first movie I remember of Joel Edgerton was that Warrior movie with Tom Hardy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that was after, right? That was that late high school? That was, yeah. Like that might, we might have been in college. That might have been 2011, 2010. Yeah, but I guess, you know, he had to work his way up to that. So yeah. that was a... Uh, it's been around for a while. Yeah, interesting. Um, but yeah, so better luck next time. Um, I think I'm over my last, like, three or four. I've, I'm on a bit of a cold streak here. I think it's more than that, but yeah. <laughs> like, maybe 10. I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us find more fine listeners like you. And we are back. Thank you from that brief word from Eric. 
So we are going to talk about the poem. The version that we read was the J.R.R. Tolkien sort of adaptation of the original text. Translation. Translation. Yeah. Um, which still had a lot of like medieval English in it, I would say, but was relatively understandable. Yeah. Um, it wasn't too difficult to sort of get through it. It was like, I don't know if you've read one of those Shakespeare readers before, where it's like one page is the Shakespeare text, on the other page they've translated it into like, you know, like 2004 English. Oh, no. It wasn't exactly as like modern as that might be, but they did helpfully have um, like definitions for some words that weren't. Mm, yeah. Like didn't have a better translation. Yeah. Well, I guess they would have. But maybe it worked like, better for, like, the style of the poem. Yeah, and especially if they want to do, like, the keep up the alliteration aspect of yeah. it. Um, like, I remember one part they had, they had a bunch of different translations or, or uh, definitions for, like, the breastplate was called something and, like, the knee armor and the, you know, shin armor. All had names. Yeah, yeah. so, that i never heard of before. But anyways, um, it's about 60 pages, um, mm-hmm. PDF. It's online if you guys want to ever check it out. Just type in Gerald Tolkien. Sir Gawain, Gawain and the Green Knight, it'll come up in Google. Um, 101 stanzas. Stanzas that are 14 lines each, right? Um, 14, so 19 lines, 14 of which are written in pentameter, and then the final five are written in something called a bob and wheel construction. Which we're going to get into a little bit later. We'll talk about that later. So, Eric, why adapt something like this, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, into a cinematic form? It's an interesting question because this is something that's not like shaking your lapels to get made as a movie because the poem itself is pretty um, like extra textual. Like the plot itself is, you know, a green knight comes to Camelot to the round table and says, hey, let's play a beheading game. Mm -hmm. And in a year, come find me. I don't even, I'm not even going to tell you where the green chapel is. Literally just come find me and I'll like give you the like axe blow that you dealt me talk about ambiguity yeah and during that trip there is like one diversion to a um lord and lady's castle basically but like really the plot is pretty thin um there's just a lot of like metaphor a lot of like ideas around what a knight is and should be and how that like models against you know, the civilization that the knight exists within. Mm-hmm. So it's it's more of like a parable about like what it means to be a good lordly person. Yeah. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Rather than what a King Arthur movie might look like in two thousand and four, where it's just like we're swinging swords. Fuck yeah. I haven't seen that movie, but I can imagine I can just Definitely. like see the trailer where it's like yeah. King Arthur's riding into battle, being yeah. like, Lancelot, let's get this shit. And then he hooks up with Kieran Alley, obviously. He's yeah. sex in there. This so. this poem is much slower and i think it's much more concerned with elements that aren't like swinging swords and mm-hmm. you know swooning honeys um too bad yeah so i think for me it is sort of interesting to tell it now in a like time in this country where we've sort of like fallen into factions and there is no like central force that keeps us all together as humans. Mm -hmm. Like this story sort of exists to maybe show us how to be a better person Mm -hmm. in the world, or at least like try to live up to our views of ourself in a certain sense. So in that sense, it might be more of like a morality 
or a like didactic version of what like the world could be like yeah i think that's a good perspective on it um i definitely agree with that and it's funny too because today there are not very many um medieval films right yeah like there's i can't even tell you what the last one was that came out but oh well that there was that king arthur movie with um oh what's his face charlie hunnam charlie hunnam yeah that was like a yeah, that was, that was a Guy Ritchie uh, joint, so that's probably, like, exactly what I'm talking about. Like yeah. a violent, you know, yeah. crusading movie. Yeah, like a rock and roll sort of version of yes. the medieval story. This movie is definitely not rock and roll. This yeah. movie is, like, beautiful. Yeah, it's sort like of like a, a portrait, like a painting. Yeah, like a, like a Mozart orchestra. Yeah. Kestrel. Yeah. Whatever. I yeah. I don't even know what it's called. So, for me, I think you make it because it has something to say that might be, like, lacking in society right now yeah and also it's it's kind of good ip like people know king arthur yeah i suppose if we're going to be like cynical and talk about the business side of it right like and also this is this is a free story i don't have to buy the rights to any arthur arthurian tales interesting you know? interesting point it's on the the public domain oh interesting so i'm gonna grab it i'm gonna you know yeah. do what i want with it basically right. and plus the author is unknown so you couldn't even give royalties to like their family or something not, yeah. that, not that you'd find them 700 years later, but... Yeah. I thought that was interesting that they were also known as the Pearl Poet. Like, they are definitely anonymous, but they think they've, like, identified other works by that person. So yeah. they're just like, oh, okay. It's this guy. These might be the same thing. Yeah. yeah. So that's my that's my thought on the adaptation. And then, um, so what parts of the poem were you excited to see adapted? I think, for me, it's really... It goes to the Green Knight. Like, the Green Knight is, is dope. It's like... Darth Vader mixed with Boba Fett for my, like, modern audiences. Mm. Like, somebody who is super powerful, but is also just super cool looking mm. and has a certain vibe. He's like, I'm coming into the round table, the best knights in all the fucking land, and I'm telling you, don't fight me. I'll fuck you up. Right. Instead, we're going to play a game where I'm going to let you cut off my head, and it's not going to hurt me. Yeah. And then in a, a year, I'm going to cut your head off. Right. That's it. That's badass. That's just, yeah, He's he walks into... Like the 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 most accomplished place in all the realm is just like I'm better than all of you. Right. Someone step up. Right. Step up. Step at me. And he just come. He comes <laughs> in right. there like like throwing a hundred miles an hour. Yeah. Swinging heat. And Dev Patel says, "All right, yeah, I'll do it." So I wanted to see what he looked like. I think the the idea of a Green Knight is kind of cool. Yeah. I had the same note. The visuals of the Green Knight. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anything else? I think. Um, how they modernized the story. I was telling you this off, off mic, but I told my wife what we were watching and she was like, Oh, what's that about? And I tried to explain the beheading game. And she was like, I don't, why do they, what? Like, why do they just like cut each other's heads off? And I was like, Oh, you know, you kind of, I just had to be there. <laughs> yeah. It's just like what it, that's just what we did. You yeah. Know, as, it was fun. as knights in the middle, middle ages. Yeah. Um, so I, obviously I don't think they could have done that. I think they'd have to modernize the story. So I was interested to see what m- sort of modernization they they writ upon yeah this movie i had a similar note it's sort of like i don't understand i I just couldn't really visualize um how they would do a a good literal adaptation of it it would just it wouldn't be like you said like you said it wouldn't be modern it wouldn't sort of relate to a modern audience in in any real tangible way i think and it would be a little too small just like yeah short yeah um, so yeah, so same thing. I wanted to see what they changed, um, in that respect. And then, um, anything else 
Or those are main things. And then did we like reading the poem? I'll be interested to hear your take. This, I mean, I think this is probably the oldest thing we've read for this podcast. Definitely. And probably one of the oldest things that we've read in our like personal lives, just mm-hmm. generally. Um, it's an epic poem. Yeah, like you mentioned, it's 101 stanzas. It's, it's not like short. It's also not, or it's not long, but it's also not short. Mm-hmm. Um, the Tolkien version we read, I think, was was approachable. Like, I think yeah. we probably agree that it was challenging, but it also was like if you gave it time and energy you could do it yeah this is not like something you could pick up and like put down a bunch and feel confident that you know what's going on right. but if you if you like engage with the text i think it was it was fine um that said there was like you know there's some stuff in here that's just sort of hard to parse yeah i wrote down yeah. some lines a hack i thee vowed and thou'st had it so hold thee content yeah like what the fuck is that the fifth five that was used as i find by this night was free giving and friendliness first before all, and chastity and chivalry ever changeless and straight, and piety surpassing all points, these perfect five, were hapsed upon him harder than on any man else. Wait, so you're telling me you don't understand that? So it's just, I think you mentioned it, like, this story is written in alliterative verse. Yeah. All these lines play with the same, like, first um, consonant sound over and over and over again, and it is, like, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. You just sort of have to like roll with it like that. Um, so for me, like g- getting accustomed to that took some time, but mm-hmm. I think once I got it, I flew through it a little bit. Yeah. It was slower, but it was accessible. I could follow it without too much trouble. Um, and I actually quite enjoyed the story. Mm-hmm. There's, there's some elements in there. There's a, you know, a twist. There's just some good like textural writing mm-hmm. where they, you know, evoke what the green knight looks like or what some of the like wooded areas look like that yeah. I, just, I enjoyed yeah um i kind of agree with that i so i enjoyed it a little bit i would say more than i thought i was going to i was very much dreading starting to read it uh especially when we were first researching it um i've just never been a fan of old english medieval english especially reading it uh never was a fan of shakespeare like hated his guts um what hated him and yeah but but i will say like like you said once you sort of understand um that you sort of need to give more effort and the concentration and let sort of the text marinate for a bit as you're reading through it and just take it a little bit more slowly at least for me then it sort of is more rewarding as you read on it's like okay now i get it i'm there and it's it's just more rewarding i guess so i actually did enjoy it and i enjoyed the rhythm of the story like reading it in sort of this rhythm rhythmic pattern was more more enjoyable than I thought because I don't do that often. Yeah. You got the story, but you also got like a cool way of telling it. Yeah. Or a different way of telling it. Yeah. Depending on how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. Um there's there's more to grasp onto than just like some old English text. I don't right. know if you actually looked up what Sir Um Gawain looked like not translated into like modern English from no. some of these like translators. It's like fully on old English, you like couldn't you couldn't read it without a degree. I don't think. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No thanks. Um, it's some like we when I was in college, we read, like, you know, Beowulf has modern translations, and it's about a, a probably a little bit less accessible than this. Mm-hmm. But we would read some like Chaucer, some of like the Canterbury Tales, and that stuff was like, 
you just needed a dictionary. Yeah. You like, needed the Shakespeare reader basically to be like, here's what all these words actually mean. Just stop every few words and look it up and then yeah. read a few more words and look up the next word. Yeah. So yeah, I just, I would never have the patience for something like that. Yeah. It's a whole, it's just like a way of life. You know what I mean? Like, it's cool that something is written in a different language. That's, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, that's what the language was. Right. But it's not like, I don't need to translate that. I want you to translate that for me. I don't right. need to read it in like the original. Yeah, I mean we're millennials. Old like, English. Come on, we're not doing that shit. Yeah, I could barely read it. You know, I read it on my phone. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, well, cool. So yeah, so you get, if you guys are interested in doing that, like I said before, Google it. J.R.R. Tolkien, the guy who wrote the Lord of the Rings. You might series. have heard of him. Might yeah, heard of him. yeah, probably. He uh, did the translation for that, so it's online. We could even post it to Twitter. Uh, the link to it, but um, I'm sure it'll be easy for you to Google. Yeah, and there's a few translations, but I yeah. think him and there's another translator who's, whose translations are the most famous oh, of, okay. of this poem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's it for the poem. We are going to talk about the movie uh, in a bit, but next coming up, Eric is going to learn you something. Before that, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Do you have an idea for an episode? Tell us what it is. Tweet at us. Find us on Instagram. Follow us for updates and general musings at Lit2Lens. And we are back. Thank you from that brief word from me. You are welcome. So, in lieu of jokes, because uh, we were both sort of, you know, joked out, we have a new segment called Eric Learns You Something. So, in it, he's going to teach you about something, and, you know, you're going to enjoy it, and you're going to remember it forever. Uh, and you're going to thank Eric later on for when you use it, so... Eric, the floor is yours. Yeah. When you go to the bar and you just drop the word alliteration, it's going to impress all of your, your colleagues and clients, and they're going to be, wow, you know what alliteration is? Yeah. Um, so one of the things about um, reading this poem is that there is a structure called the bobbin wheel. Um, a bob is a short line, often two syllables, that serves to introduce the start of the wheel. So it's sort of like a, a part of the wheel itself it's a little precursor yes um the wheel occurs at the end of a stanza and gives the text a particular rhythm so in sir gawain stanzas are written like we mentioned in alliterative verse with 14 lines using pentameter rhythm so that's just like 10 mm-hmm. um the final five lines in each stanza are said to be the bob which is the one line two syllable two syllable one liner and wheel which is four lines and those wheels typically follow an AB, AB rhyme scheme. Hmm. So the first line rhymes with the third line. Second line rhymes with the fourth line. And the content of each bob and wheel varies within the poem, but often it functions as a refrain, re- refrain hmm. summary or a counterpoint to the stanza that preceded it. So you can view it as sort of like a underscoring of the important parts that were just covered. Mm-hmm. Just a quick summary of like okay and he rode off into the sunset of mm-hmm. what was happening or um sort of a, a a flip of what we read so it's a way to like emphasize the thing that came before it and it's just a sort of particular way of doing so interesting and, so so it is sort of like a summary of what just happened just in a shorter or smaller portion yeah and i think giving it that it. like rhyme scheme after reading those like alliterative verses is punchier mm. because if you notice like there's no rhyme throughout the stanza until you get to the end and then it's like do 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 and it's right. sort of like a way to be like you know this is about to wrap up yeah to the next one yeah okay so popularized mainly by this pearl poet i think it's been 
in other poems throughout time, but really like Sir Gawain is the uh, Bob and Wheel example. Oh, really? Throughout, huh. yes, throughout time. Oh, interesting. So that's Bob and Wheel. The other thing um, to hit on real quick is alliter alliteration, and that is just the occurrence of the same letter or sound at the beginning of adjacent or closely connected words. It's the opposite of assonance, which is that, but just for vowel sounds. So a couple of examples I pulled. You can listen to the beginning of this episode to get a sense of, of it and some of the other things that we've read from the poem. But there's a line, these dined on the days of, or these dined on the days and daintily fared, or when there passed through the portals a perilous horseman. It's a mouse. It's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. So that's why you can hear my my lisp coming out because <laughs> I'm just trying to enunciate everything. Yeah. Um, it's funny though. I mean, this is obviously was popularized back in the day. I'm sure that was um, probably not not a lot of people were like this, but I'm sure there were copiers right of this who wrote their own things, who read this kind of stuff. But this is just so not uh what is done today right? no yeah for sure you might have like a sentence here or there that like leverages alliteration to like affect you know whether it's like oh look at me i'm a cool writer look mm -hmm. at all these p's <laughs> right, right. <laughs> or whatever um but this like throughout the entire 101 stanzas really hits home like this idea of alliterative text um it's kind of impressive i mean it's a it is impressive it's a lot of I'm sure it took a long time to sort of think out each line. Yeah. And you can, we talked about this a bit earlier in the translation where, you know, there are certain words he uses that are used to fit yeah. the alliterative structure. Or like, it's not a breastplate. It's like the, this word that starts with a P. Right. We're like shoehorning in these things to keep it alive. Right. Or there's a, there's a couple moments in the text where, um, I don't know if you noticed this, where instead of, you know, Gawain says this, it's like, and then onto him spoke the right. these words that I am about to relate to you now. Right, right, right. And you're just like, okay, you know. We get it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, you're going for something and you're doing it. And yeah. sometimes there's a couple of moments where you're just like, okay. Yeah, you're not going to hit everyone. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's definitely cool. So hopefully um, that was of interest and you've learned something today. Yes, I hope so as well. So. Um, I certainly did not. But maybe, <laughs> maybe the listener did. You already knew those words. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Um. So thank you for that, um, that little segment there from Eric. But now we're going to get into the movie, and we're going to unpack the adaptation. So uh, FYI, spoilers are coming up, so spoiler alert. Um, we are going to dissect the adaptation, see how it relates to uh, the original text, and try to figure out, you know, why did David Lowry make some of these decisions? You know, what was his motivation behind it, and sort of unpack it from there. Um, so Eric... First question, how would you describe the adaptation? Literal, loose, or reimagined? I would call this loose. I think there is a lot that is shared. Obviously, like the main thing being the beheading game. Um, and then there's a, a, a shared moment on his quest from Camelot to the Green Chapel where he finds a, the Lord and Lady's castle and he sits there and they have another game that they play. Um, those two things exist in the movie. And that's like the entire poem. So mm -hmm. the fact that these are here, I think makes it at least loose, mm -hmm. but around it, um, which we'll talk about in a second, like he adds some stuff that was pulled from other like sources. Yes. Arthurian sources. So I'm going to, I'm going to grade this as loose. I would agree. So it's, it's, it's what you want, but it also, it adds some stuff. Yeah. It's not super loose. It's not reimagined, but it's, 
Yeah. Relatively loose. That's yeah. not literal. I agree. Does that help? Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to get into the differences. Um, number one, Gawain, or Gerwin, as they say it in the film, uh, is not a knight in the movie, uh, but he is a knight of the round table in the poem. Uh, in the poem. So why make a decision like this that seems relatively not that important, but actually is important for the story? Um, why make a decision like this for the film? So I, I want to harken back to when I was telling my wife what the poem was about, and she was like, I don't understand that. I think it's just like it's not a modern idea that you would do something out of honor, like a tit-for-tat, like you behead me, I'll behead you in a year. That, I think, doesn't fully resonate. It, the motivations, I think, don't really make sense. Mm -hmm. Like they're, the, the motivations are like, I have to upend my end of the bargain. And it's like, is that is that strong enough to carry a story with today's like audience, mm -hmm. whether they be readers or viewers of a film. So for me, like the first decision that you have to make is it's not a story about, you know, doing it because it's like, they have to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to like accept your beheading only for you to behead me later because I am a chivalrous knight of the round table. Mm -hmm. It's how do you make, how do you make it realistic? And I think the answer to that is like to give Gawain extra motivation mm -hmm. by making him not a knight, but keeping him Arthur's nephew. Mm -hmm. You sort of like put him around the table, but behind the table. So he's not part of it. And this is his opportunity to like step into knighthood. Mm -hmm. um, he wants to be a knight. And so that want is able like essentially like colors all of his actions yeah everything he does is in service of becoming a knight yeah and i i you're just reminding me of of the film where you know we're watching i think it's one of the first scenes um where he is drunk either drunk of his ass or very hungover uh, or maybe still drunk from the night before and he's walking around and he's like i still have time to be a knight i still have time i still have time like i can still enjoy myself and then you see later on he's at the round table and he's actually invited up to sit next to the king and queen um and he doesn't think he's worthy um and the king asks him tell me a tale and he has no tales to tell because yeah. he's never done anything of honor um so it's sort of that sort of propels his like you said motivation into becoming this knight yeah and when the knight the green knight walks in and says somebody challenge me and everyone kind of demurs then he's like yes i will challenge you I will, this is be my, like, this is my tale now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm taking over. Right. It's my time. Yeah. Um, so yes, that is one, uh, one difference. So Gawain is not a knight. Um, and he's given that extra motivation to become one later on. Um, so, and like we just alluded to before, uh, the green knight shows up to the round table and he basically challenges all of the knights to a beheading game. Um, so it exists in both. But for the reasons, um, for for reasons, it has changed for each text or each mm -hmm. medium. Excuse me. Yeah, I, and I think it's probably tied to giving, like, not allowing going to be a knight in the movie, where you're, the motivations for him is to prove himself, and so, mm. okay, I, I'm a guy that wants to prove myself. The narrative is then going to put in place for me, the challenge. Yeah. 
So I want to be a Jedi. Like, all right, here's Yoda. Mm-hmm. You know, now go be a Jedi. Right. And it's going to be hard to be a Jedi. It's going to be hard to become a knight. But, wow, I'm really hitting Star Wars today. <laughs> but it's, you know, like, I think good narratives will put in front of you the thing that you want to yeah. leverage to become the thing you want to be. And it's up to him to, like, to follow through on that. But it's giving him it's giving him the chance. Yeah, and I think from... Gawain's perspective in the poem, when he sort of uh, receives this challenge, he's sort of thinking, I have to accept this challenge in order to um, keep my status and keep my honor as a knight. This is what a knight is ex- is expected to do. So I need to keep this in order to, or I need to accept it in order to keep this sort of standing and reputation in the round table. But in the movie, it's sort of like, I need to achieve that status i need to achieve is to elevate yeah because he's not there yet yeah so yeah i do think in the in the poem this is like somewhat familiar that he might be younger he might be a, a younger knight younger mem- member of the round table i think so and so he does in at some like level have something to prove there as well he's certainly more immature yeah but i ultimately i think you're right the poem is much more about honor mm-hmm. and just like following through on your end of the bargain than right. it is like wanting to leverage that opportunity for something for betterment right right and then um on gawain's uh or gawain's quest he runs into two new things um so the robbers in the woods right and then winifred's house in the lake and i would also argue the giants but that yeah we can get to that later but these are the two main things yeah so the story really is pretty simple the green knight comes in you know gawain cuts his head off and in a year he quests back out to find the Green Knight to get the return blow. In the story, he immediately finds the Lord and Lady's castle. In the, in the poem, excuse me. Mm-hmm. In this movie, he doesn't know what which way to go. And yeah. at first he runs into this kid who is just in this like charred battlefield and tells him to, you know, follow the river and through the woods to grandma's house. You'll go and find mm-hmm. the Green Chapel. Mm-hmm. And he does. And when he goes in there, he's immediately um ambushed by two other kids with the the first kid and they steal his horse they tie him up they steal the axe that he was carrying from the green knight um and they really derail like the beginnings of his yeah quest his first challenge yeah it is so i think the addition of that in that one in particular i think is a little more literal than the winifred or the the giants that come later Mm -hmm. but that one is really just like how can we He's got a big fucking axe. He's got a horse. This is going to be easy, right? Right, right, He right. can just find the Green Chapel in like three days. Yeah. How do I make his search hard? I get him off the horse. I like leave him vulnerable to all manner of attackers. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter that he has like armor or, you know, a big weapon. If I get rid of those mm-hmm. armor and big weapons. Right. While also, I think you mentioned that that's an Arthurian tale. Like him getting yeah. robbed in the woods by some just like robber folks. Yeah. So we're keeping it in the Arthurian cinematic universe, mm-hmm. um, but we're just uh, we're making we're making it a challenge. Yeah, I like it. I mean, it's clever. It's a clever nod to a different tale, right? If if you are a scholar or if you are the real Arthurian heads, exactly, get a kick out of yeah, this. they would love that. It's not just some random thing that David Lowry just spawned from his mind, right? It's something that exists in this, like you said, universe. Maybe there should be. Maybe this should be a twenty fours. Um, you know, 
competitor to the MCU. That'd be that would be what would it be? That would be sick. K A U King Arthur universe. Yeah. Cow. Cow for the the cow heads. I like it. I'm in on it. Okay. Well, well, we'll email like 24 and see if we can get that going. Yeah. But then the second one, Winifred's house in the lake. Yeah, this one is def- <clears throat> excuse me, definitely less literal. Um, in his quest, he comes across just like a rundown cabin in the woods, and he's tired. He's wet, right? I think it's been raining. Yeah, he's got. He doesn't have his. He's been walking instead of his horse. Yeah, right. He needs shelter, so yeah. he goes to this cabin. It seems to be deserted. He falls asleep in the bed, and he wakes up with this girl, woman, standing over him, mm-hmm. and basically, like, "You're in my bed. Get out." Um, they talk for a little bit, and she's like, "Actually, can you help me find my head? It's in the mm-hmm. lake yeah. outside." He's like, "What the fuck?" Are you yeah, so no, your head, head's on your shoulders. Neck. Yeah. yeah <laughs> um. He goes into the lake, like, swims deep in there, finds a skull, comes back out. She's gone. She's a skeleton in the bed he was just sleeping in, puts the skull back on. Mm-hmm. And then his axe that's been stolen, like, essentially re-enters. Yeah. It's hanging, or it's just hanging against the pole, I think, in the room. Yeah. So this one I have, a, I have less good of a read on. It seems sort of like a you know side quest on your main quest to get your axe back mm-hmm. in a certain way this one also comes from like arthurian tales yeah um but like i don't fully get it i think from what i took from it it's it's another test to prove his honor so like he doesn't really owe anything to this woman um and she's essentially a ghost right she's not a real person she's she's dead and it sort of proves his um, resolve to be honorable, right? He sort of dives into this lake in the middle of the night or spring or pond or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and it's a very cool scene, actually, visually, um, if you ever watch it, um, where he dives really deep and they have really cool colors of, like, red and other things. Um, but he dives all the way to the bottom of this thing, which is pretty deep, and grabs the skull, dives all the way back up, and she's gone. Um but he sort of respects her life by, you know, sort of restoring her head on her on her skeleton in the bed. So it's sort of, the way I read it is sort of like, it's honorable to sort of respect the dead and go to this great length to just replace a head, which... Yeah, let know, her rest. Let her rest, yeah. So That is interesting now that you say that, because there is that moment where he's about to dive in, and he's like, if I do this for you, what will you do for me? And then she's like, that's not how this works. Yeah, why would you ask something like that? Yeah, why would you ask something like that? Um, which is, I think to your point, like he almost fails. Yeah. Cause yep. he, he does want something out of that. And he she's does. like, no. And he's like, yeah, you're right. He's like a, he's a capitalist at heart or at first at least. Right? Yeah. He's like, what, what do you, what are you going to do for me? Yeah, thing. exactly. Um, but I think, you know, it's sort of, there's, I, this is sort of a side note, but I think there's like a greater power at work in this movie. That's sort of like rewarding him for these honorable acts. So like after, completing this quest this side quest where he like restores her skull to her body in the bed he's rewarded with his axe right that was stolen from him from the robbers earlier in the in the day yeah um so side note yeah but and there's there's a couple moments where he's like he runs into a fox in a cave while it's you know pouring rain outside he needs some shelter and the fox Mm -hmm. continues to follow him there's a moment where he um runs into this giant like traveling group of giants and yeah. they uh great scene they go to like pick him up 
and the fox like barks at them and they stop and continue on. Was it? I think it was a howl. He like howled at them, them and they sort of howl back, which was weird. Yeah. I think another viewing might unpack some things in this movie. There's a, there's a lot going on. I love this scene, by the way. It just, like, it was very sci-fi. Yeah. It just, I don't know, something about it was just, like, alien. It felt like a rival to me for some reason. Yeah, it did. Yes. Yeah. Me as well. Um, so I just think David Lowry should only do sci-fi from now on. Or he should at least dip his toes in it. Yeah. Because that was a cool visual. Um, but I don't know if the giants were... I'm sure there's probably an Arthurian legend about giants. I would assume so. Yeah, I yeah. didn't. I didn't research that, but anyways, let's move on to Morgan Le Fay. Yes. She? So Morgan Le Fay is the half sister of King Arthur. Yes. Um, and in the poem, she is the sort of mastermind behind everything that happens. Mm-hmm. The Green Knight is is also the like lord of the castle that they run into. And uh, Morgan Le Fay is the old person living in that castle who sort mm-hmm. of just, like, created a game to try and scare Arthur's wife, Guinevere, into, like, dying, basically. Yeah, which is an elaborate scheme. Yeah. She's she's like, I, I brought the Green Knight in to make her, like, have a heart attack, basically, I guess. Yeah. I, yeah. Or threaten her life in some way. Yeah. So that, that's her motivation, but she's really not... She's sort of, like, the... Um, architect she is like the she's playing she's playing the the the, keys the they call them the puppet yeah she's like the puppet master yeah um in a certain sense in the film she is like brought forward she is um gawain's gawain's mother yeah so it makes gawain um arthur's nephew Mm -hmm. and i think makes the like familial stakes a little bit stronger Mm -hmm. rather than have her play the puppet master only mm-hmm. she is both the puppet master and like direct um mother to gawain so yeah. our, our read on this is that she knows that her son is like not quite nightworthy yet mm-hmm. and so she creates the like projection of the green knight to get him over the hump and be- yes agreed and before we get into it i actually wanted to ask you so in the poem it's sort of revealed at the end of the poem that she is the architect but in the movie it's sort of revealed at the beginning. Yes. That she's sort of bringing the Green Knight to the round table through magic. Um, and so, like, I want to ask you, what is the point of doing it at the beginning as opposed to revealing it at the end for this specific purpose? I guess you're just removing the twist of it, right? Like, it's it's not... It's less important what she's doing. Or it's less important, like, who's doing it than, like, mm-hmm. what she's doing. Right. So, um, I don't think they like out and out say that she's Morgan Le Fay. I think it's like, you can in- intuit that pretty mm-hmm. easily, um, from her relationship to Arthur. But I, I think it's more just like, we know, it might be for the audience, right? Like we know who's doing this. Right. And so you're not questioning, what is this? Who's this green knight fella? Right, right. You take him to be like a real thing, a real challenge that, um, Gowan has to face. Right. Rather than like. Is he real? Is he just like a tree man? What's yeah. going on? Yeah. I think it I think it just grounds the story and I think I think it answers some questions for you. Yeah. And makes it makes things a little bit cleaner. Mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah, so that is one key difference. Um, the motivation behind Morgan Le Fay's architecture of the story. Yeah. Um, architecture architect role of the story, I guess you could say. Um, which was interesting for sure. 
And then, so the big thing, do you want to get into it? The ending? The ending. So if you really Very don't different. want to be spoiled. Yeah, please. Please stop your listening. You can here. stop listening now. We've, yeah. we've done enough for you. Right. We've given you all this content. <laughs> Go watch The Green Knight. Go read it. Yeah. If so, you haven't already. So in the, in the poem, um, he finds the knight. Well, I guess we should back up for a second. So in his quest, he runs into a castle with a lord and a lady. Yeah. Oh, yes. He makes an agreement with the lord, another game, where the lord every day will go off and hunt, and whatever he brings back will be Gowan's. And whatever Gowan gets that day while he's chilling at the house will become the lord's. Right. And Which is very weird. The first two days, the lord gives him back his kill. The first day, I think it's a deer. second day, it's a boar. And... Um, Gowan gets like smooches yes, yeah. from the lady each of the first two days. Yeah. She she's coming on to him basically. Yeah. Um and he kisses the Lord in return. Mm-hmm. And on the third day, he gets kissed again, but he also gets a girdle, mm-hmm. which is this belt, and he's told that it's gonna like protect him from the green knight, what right. comes next. But instead of giving that to the Lord the way the agreement is constructed, he just keeps it for himself. Right. So when he goes ultimately to the Green Knight, the Green Knight swings at him twice and misses. And then Gawain's like, what's up? Why aren't you like hitting me? Right. And he's like, oh yeah, you're right. I am like the Lord and you did not give me that girdle. So you weren't being entirely truthful and he like nicks him on the neck once. And he's like, now you're, now you're done. Right. Like our our bargain's been paid off. Just know I could have beheaded you, but like, you know, you showed to me in my house with my wife that you were honorable enough and I understand that you kept the girdle because you wanted to protect your life not because you were being like dishonorable and not sharing it with me right so and then he goes back to Camelot and he's like Arthur I'm kind of embarrassed but I did it yeah um whatever and they sort of accept him and they all wear this green uh not sash girdle uh, girdle sorry as a sort of a reminder to always be honest yes and truthful yeah so nice little tidy moral there yeah in the film things are a bit different the situation at the castle is the same um although it's a little bit more graphic and it's like sexual details yeah yes um yes. slightly more graphic mm-hmm. um but when he goes to the green knight eventually the green knight swings at him twice he flinches both times and on the third swing he flinches again gets up runs away yeah he gets on his horse gets on his boat goes back to camelot tells the tale that he like did the deed right the green knight was done he becomes king he rules his um uh girl that he kept in the whorehouse i guess essel um he she bears him a son and then he like gets rid of her we must give her more credit than that she's she is they are the love interest in the movie yes but she is still she, I guess, works in a whorehouse or lives in a whorehouse or is, has some sort of association. We're not entirely clear. That's true. Thank so, you. Thank just you to give her some credit. Thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> um, the son eventually dies in battle. He marries a new, like, higher station wife. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't really respect him. And it, like, is it shown that he and her are, like, the castle is being ransacked yeah. it's falling apart like, we, barbarians are at the gates i don't know if you did i don't know if i just missed this but did you mention that he took away her son their child so she was pregnant with his baby essel yeah did i assumed that was the kid that died I, I my assumption was that he actually raised that kid 
in oh, in the castle himself. Must have been. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. That, that was my thought. Gotcha. Um, it, yeah, that's not entirely clear. So once he is... Yeah, we, he becomes, we wanted to do this tightly and it was, yeah, we just, sort of, yeah. I can't do anything. Sorry. I can't do anything. <laughs> but anyways, he becomes, he becomes sort of a reviled king because he goes to war and his son dies. And, um, I think there's a scene where somebody throws something at him in the, in the castle. Yes. Like one of the lower people. Like an egg or cabbage or, yeah, yeah. or whatever. Something. He's being shouted at and stuff like that. So he sort of becomes like this failure yeah. as a king. And I think one of the last scenes is where the castle's being stormed. Yes. And he's with his family in whatever room. The chamber room. or Yeah, whatever. sort of awaiting death. Yeah. And um, he, like, comes to back in the green castle as young Dev Patel and realizes, I suppose the, the interpretation is, like, what his future will bring him. Yeah. When he fails this end of the bargain to, like, not take the final mm-hmm. axe blow. Um, and so he takes off the girdle, throws it aside, and um, the Green Knight says, like, off with your head. He says, he says I'm ready. And, yeah. He says, I'm ready. And then he says, off with your head. Then. Yeah. Whatever. Um, and then it cuts to black. Right. That's the end of the movie. Right. So my interpretation of that is David Lowry trying to say something more than what's being said in the poem, or different than what's being said in the poem. How so? Oh, I think it's it's a trickle-down effect from changing the motivation of his, like, going to the Green Knight anyway. Mm-hmm. So, in the poem, right, it's just, like, a tit-for-tat. It's the honorable thing to do. And it turns out, in a twist, that they're just playing a game on him. Right. This reality in the film, it's not a game. Although mm-hmm. Arthur's, like, at some point, oh, it's just a game, lad. Like, yeah. don't worry about it. But then that's never, like, talked about again. Mm-hmm. The film reads as more real yeah where that axe blow was actually going to kill him right and ultimately i think he realizes if he wants to be like the knight he was meant the, to be the, he, that he was meant to be like the actual honorable chivalrous loyal good true like memorable knight mm-hmm. he has to take the axe blow yeah feeling that is like a bullshit life yeah it's an untrue life it's It's, built on a lie yes and when that is built on a lie you can see that like everything that he creates and he rules that's built on a lie will crumble yeah eventually yeah yeah so he decides to take the axe blow um in a show of here's what it actually means to be a knight Mm -hmm. you sort of just like wanted to have the title and the lands and Mm -hmm. like be the cool king or whatever but that's ultimately not what being a knight is that's not what being a good person is yeah correct and i think this is another sort of uh is more evidence to show that there is a higher power at play here because he basically from our view right watching the movie it looks like he just leaves and he you know he were given this sort of like okay this is how his life sort of turns out but it's not that and he's shown that and sort of he comes to that realization through whatever higher power is being at play here in this like sort of magic world maybe it's sort of the magic that is related to his mother maybe it's similar to that i'm not really sure but sort of shows him like you just said this is not the path that you want to go down yeah i think it's piggybacking on what you're saying i think it's important to note that like the the fantasy or science fiction elements here 
aren't necessarily like spelled out we don't exactly know the rules of like how the green knight operates in this world Mm -hmm. like you know he just lives in a chapel far far away from camelot right um we don't understand exactly like how he survived the the axe blow or like what his blow will do to dev patel's neck Mm um it's just it exists yeah and that is sort of just enough in the rules of this movie yeah yeah i mean i agree um, those are the main differences. Is there anything else you want to say, comment about them? No, I don't think so. I think we'll touch on another point when we talk about our hot takes. Yes. But, um, I don't know. Did you, did you find this to be successful? I did. I, um, so, so yeah, I wasn't so sure about it when I first left the theater because I was still wrapping my mind around everything that I just saw. But I absolutely think it was a successful adaptation um, sort of a reimagining in a way um, of that tale, but sort of you mean a loose, a loose, a looser reimagining. Excuse <laughs> me. Yes, um, it's sort of just evolving from the original text, which is sort of what you want, right? If you're making an adaptation, you know you can just make a literal one if it's worth it, right? If it's everything is spelled out for you, but if it's not, you sort of have to fill in the gaps and add more to it. And I think it was done successfully. What about what? What do you? What did you think? I totally agree. I think. We mentioned this, like, the impulse to just make this an action movie is probably really high. Yeah. And another director, writer, or studio's hands, that might be what this becomes. But I think the leaving it as a smaller, um, like, you know, character-driven, idea-driven, like, you know, personal growth-driven mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. makes it a, like, true interpretation of yeah. Sir Gawain. Yeah, and I was actually listening to a podcast, or maybe it was just an interview with David Lowry earlier today or yesterday, and he was saying that, you know, at a different studio, you know, different from A24, this could have been a totally different story and a totally different movie, but he said he wanted, he sort of really wanted A24 to pick it up uh, secretly, <laughs> and eventually they did, I think it was either before Sundance or at Sundance, um, said it, he said it was sort of a match made in heaven kind of thing, so... Yeah. The universal rep is like, hey, I like this movie. What if yeah. there's an army? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. What if we give you like sixty million more dollars? Yeah, yeah. All these extras below it out. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Um, which sort of makes sense. I mean, A twenty four is sort of this new studio that has this um, perception around them of being character driven and really telling unique and different stories. Um, yeah, more yeah. adult. Yeah. Driven dramas and yeah yeah and told in interesting ways yeah even though this is a fantasy quote-unquote movie it's yeah it's i think more approachable as like a traditional adult movie what did you think the the landon kids thought of it the 13 14 year olds who were sitting next to us so i think that they were probably like super surprised you really i i personally think that the marketing sort of misleads you definitely in this movie where you think it's going to be like, like this epic yeah and it's it's really not that. Yeah. It is, it's, it's not slow, but it is like a, a, you know, a personal burn. Yeah. Personal journey. There are epic moments to it, but it's not For sure. like, yeah, I think it is misleading in a way. Yeah. So I, that's, I think those landing kids probably got misled. Yeah. Fuck that. You know, I doubt they read the source material. <laughs> I also doubt that. Yeah. Um, so did you like it? I liked it quite a bit. I liked it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I think they're, I think I want to watch it again because yeah, i feel like i missed some stuff even though i tried to take note of everything but there's just there's just a lot 
there's just a lot there and it all means something Mm -hmm. rather than just like advancing the plot i think there's there's like a reason why there's these giants just walking through the hills of you know northern wales yeah and so i i so at first i did not really like it i because i i was misled i was expecting this big epic sort of thing and i didn't so it there was a cognitive dissonance after the movie that i was like i'm not really sure how i feel because it didn't align with what i thought yeah and so i had to sort of stew on it a while and you know in order to in order to do this podcast we read the source material we watch the movie and then we do research in order to prep for the podcast and i think that's a kind of a healthy way to sort of like think about a story Right, think about dissecting an adaptation, right? It's a lot of work, but it sort of gives you all these different perspectives. And for me, sort of as that process played out, I sort of learned more about it. And now I'm much more appreciative of the movie and the story in general. But like you just said, I'm much more excited now to watch it again. Yeah. With everything that we've talked about and learned throughout that process. Yeah. So Well said. Thank you. <laughs> So, hot takes. Eric, would you like to go first? I'll go first. So, my hot take here is that this is all just a metaphor for climate change. Um, I think that the Green Knight himself is just like a natural wonder who comes into Camelot and says, like, hey, I'm just like the metaphor of nature. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's like, let's have a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. And they're like, you know what? No, fuck you. I'm going to cut you. I'm going to cut you off at your head. And I'm just going to use you for, like, your purpose. Mm -hmm. My purpose being to leverage my station in life. But I'm going to disregard your power as a natural being. And then I think ultimately he realizes that, like, he's never going to win against the natural world. There's a lot of, you know, the idea with climate change is that, like, humans have furthered the world on a path towards, like, our own destruction. Mm -hmm. So the I I read this in some journal. I thought it was really good. But it's, like... In the short term, like, the climate of our Earth is, like, in trouble. But in the long term, like, it's good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, if you think about humans as a virus on, like, a body, once you get rid of the virus, you're going to be fine. Right, right, right. You will heal. So what is climate change but just, like, attacking the virus? Yeah. It's killing us. Yeah. Mother Nature is evolving to, or it's sort of not really even evolving. It's just running its normal course of action yeah. to sort of get rid of the people that are making it hard for it to exist right so which is us i think i think in this movie dev patel sort of reckons with that like he's you know face to face with the green knight and like there's nothing you can do yeah there's but, nothing you can do yeah you know I, I and ultimately you can like run away from what you think the reality is or you can embrace it and just have it consume you. Wow, that's kind of a dark... I think this movie is super nihilist. Interesting. Yeah, you said that right after yeah. we uh, saw it outside, and I didn't really understand what you said. Yeah. I was like, nihilist? What the fuck are you talking about? There you go. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, it's, you know. Wow. It's a pessimistic, yeah. it's a pessimistic time, Will. Now I'm really sad. I think it's, it's time art reflects how some people are feeling, which is not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I would honestly love to get, because I dig that, I dig that hot take. That might be one of your hottest takes yet. Thank you. Um, I would love to get David Lyra on the podcast, and I would love to have you just tell him that it. and yeah. see what he thinks. 
Because that would be incredibly, you know, if that was actually his sort of... Uh, Reason for making it. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be incredible. It'd be very genius, I think. But well, he, we'll get him on the pod. Yeah, we'll get him on. We'll send him an email. David Lowry, come on the pod. We yeah. love you. Um, my hot take will not live up to that, but I my hot take is is uh, it's a Morgan LeFay's world. We're all just living in it. Can I ask you a question? Did you find reading this poem that you were, and this is for only a certain audience might get this reference. Did you feel like the weight of Avalon like on your shoulders where it was like at the very end, like, guess what? I'm Merlin. <laughs> um, unlike one of our friends who has a difficult time on that game, I don't feel the weight of Avalon anymore. I've sort of evolved and um, sort of graduated to a new level of being, I think, where I am not affected by the weight of that game. So, great. That was a hot take sponsored by <laughs> Wendy's. Uh, Four-piece chicken nuggets for 99 cents. Just for the audience members who are, have no fucking clue what we're talking about, that's targeted at one individual who is a new listener, actually. Yeah. Hopefully he listens to this one. Yeah. Otherwise, it'll be for not. We'll recommend it to him. There's yeah. a board game called Avalon. You should search it out. It's it's a fun way to have uh, your friendships dissolve. Yeah, correct. That is correct. Um, so, Eric, movie or poem? I'm going movie here. Um, probably not a surprise based on some of our conversation about the accessibility of the uh, read here. But nonetheless, I thought the movie was really good. I am in total agreement. I uh, I mean, I certainly gained a lot, I think, from the poem. Uh, you know, relearned what alliteration was, because I'd obviously forgotten since 10th grade English. Yeah. Um, and a bobbin wheel. So I feel like I learned some new things. Thank you for that. Yeah. You probably never encounter a bobbin wheel again. But You're correct. we'll That's always have these 60 pages. It's a good bet. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the movie just, yeah. Yeah. Did a lot for me. So, and then final thoughts. What will we remember from the poem? Uh, for me, the rhythm of the prose. That just I stuck out to me. Totally agree with that. I think that's the, the big takeaway for me is just the construction of it. Yeah. It's, it goes for it. And I think it does it pretty effectively. And I think you have to give the writer, the poet, like the poet or J.R.R.L. R.R. Tolkien credit. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. uh, Gerwain, you know, J.R.R. <laughs> Tolkien. Yeah. I, like, they, they really went for it, and I think they, it's impressive. Yeah, it's, it a, impressive. It's, a, it's a nice story, but it's also, like, really, really well constructed. Yeah. So, it's well thought out. Yeah. Um, and then, did you have any final thoughts on the movie? Yes. I would like to talk about Dev Patel's look. Oh, like, okay. I was thinking when I was watching it that that's sort of like the look you would like. The like yeah. lionine mane. mane of hair yeah. with like his beard is not like the best beard in the world, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's like it's like fairly filled. You know, it's not like having that great head of hair with like a patchy beard. I think it works for his character because his character is, is immature and I think pretty young. And so you wouldn't want like a full beard on like a. Right, you don't want him to be too old or mature looking. I mean, like, like the thickness, like it, it doesn't quite grow everywhere. Right, right, right. It's kind, of, it's yeah. not. I wouldn't say it's patchy, but it, it's symmetrical. Yeah. But it doesn't grow. Yeah. My everywhere. so my question to you is: Would you want to look like that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, obviously, besides being like that, but you with that with that facial and uh, head of hair. Yes, I think. Obviously, Dev Patel is, like, a very handsome man. Yeah. Anyone would want to be Dev Patel. 
Correct. And I, I just, I do think it does look better with a full beard with that, with that, those locks, yeah. those lovely locks of his, uh, just on anybody in general. Yeah. I think you want the beard, uh, main combo. I like the, I like this, this, uh, era of long hair Dev Patel, like that movie Lion. Yeah. That movie was really That's good. Great. Did he have a beard in that? I can't remember. No, he just had long hair, I think. Okay. That's when I first realized like, holy yeah. shit. Yeah, he's a man now. Yeah. Yeah, remember from Slumdog Millionaire? He was just this little boy. Yeah, well, that was, that was you know, a... 15. Yeah, that was a while ago. Oh, like 13 years ago? Oh, nine? Oh, eight. Oh, eight, okay. Yeah. Wow. Good memory. Best shout picture, out. oh, eight. <laughs> um, and I want to shout out the Giants real quick. I already mentioned this earlier in the podcast. I just thought that was a fucking cool scene. Whoever the CGI guy is, give a guy a raise. It was just. Yeah, those were real Giants. Shut up! No, you're yeah, lying. They're in Wales. Lying. <laughs> no one's been to Wales, so they don't know. They don't that's know. where the giants are. <laughs> Gotta get that taken go, Sam. Um, so yeah, so those are our final thoughts. Thanks for listening if you've gotten this far, and we don't blame you if you haven't. You just shut us off like 20, 30 minutes ago. Oh, no, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we appreciate you listening. Um, and as we sign off here, we want to mention to check out our most recent episode of On the Road, uh, which was an adaptation of the Jack Kerouac novel, which we which was our most previous one. And then keep an eye out uh, for our next episode on Howl. The plan to record that uh, in two weeks' time, because he's Eric's going on vacation again. Yeah. It's the summer of Eric. I think that's what it is. Uh, every summer is the summer of Eric. <laughs> uh, but we're going to do that in hopefully two weeks. Um, and then you'll see some more beat uh novels coming out yeah this was a, a bit of a one-off as this movie we thought was going to be you know capturing the conversation came out i think it has a little bit yeah. so and we were interested in it yeah for sure so we broke apart our beat scene a little bit to our beat season a little bit mm. to hit the green night but then we're back on the beats baby back on the beats you like that alliteration <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> you're welcome um any shout outs Dev patel just keep doing what you're doing yeah correct Correct. I like Dev Patel a lot. I would like to shout out. I'm going to add Dev Patel in the in our fantasy league. Ooh, actually. you can't. He's going to win the Oscar this year. So yeah, I know he's going to be hot. He's going to be a hot ticket. <laughs> um, I would like to shout out David Lowry, obviously, but I would also like to make a personal shout out to Alicia Vikander for coming back, coming back strong because she had a few years of sort of downward uh, popularity. I guess is. Yeah. The way to say it. Downward heat. What do they say in Entourage? It's like you're... you're... Yeah. You don't come to Sundance for the... Temp- or... What is it? Oh, you don't come to Sundance for the... Uh, something. You come for the heat. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. What is that line? We'll get... We'll get it right. Yeah. We'll get it right next we'll time. We'll just dub this in. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'd like to shout out her for... Shout out to her for coming back. Yeah. She, we didn't really she talk about her, but she was she was really good in this movie. Yeah. I mean, she played two... Two different characters. Yep. Essel well. and then the Lady of the Castle. Yeah. She was good. She was good. I look forward to more movies with her. Yeah. Well, I think she's coming out with another one this year. So I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, thank you for listening. Um, and we'll see you next time. Peace out.